Welcome to the Security in Color podcast, your soon-to-be favorite place for cybersecurity news and resources. My name is Dominique, and I am the creator of this platform. My aim here is simple, to make the world of cyber accessible to everyone. So get settled, get cozy, and let's jump into today's episode. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of Security in Color, uh, your soon-to-be favorite cybersecurity podcast. If you didn't already know, like if you're new here and you didn't know, now you know, girl. Like, this is your thing. This is your new thing. Welcome. Welcome to the family. (laughs) Welcome to the tribe. Uh, My name is Dominique. I'm the creator of this podcast, platform, etc. Super excited to have another episode come out. Have a lot to talk about (laughs) for today, of course. Depending on when you're listening to this, I drop on typically on Mondays, every couple of weeks, bi-weekly, every three weeks, you know, trying to trying to get that information out to you. Pretty active on social media, so you'll probably see me um, if I'm not doing this podcast, I'm probably sharing some information or tidbits somewhere on my LinkedIn or somewhere on the um, kind of like cybersecurity world. It's such a small world out here. <laughs> but anyway, I hope you're having an amazing day, evening, whatever time it is that you're listening to this. I typically record on weekends. So and today is Sunday. So I'm definitely in the mode and zone of like, not productivity, so to say, but like getting my week together, right? Like setting the intention of what I would like my week to look like, how I want to start it off, the things I want to do, get accomplished. Um, it's a pretty busy week for me, even outside of work. I am a cybersecurity professional or security professional, I should say. Uh, but outside of that, like it, it's it's a pretty cool week. A, a really great friend of mine is getting married this week. So super excited to participate and just celebrate love, <laughs> which would be awesome to do with uh, family and friends. A lot of the people part of the party are my best friends so we're about to have a really great time so yeah you know I'm looking forward to this week I hope you have an amazing week I hope you had a chance to set your intentions and if not it is never too late even if it's Wednesday right you could be listening to this on Wednesday you still got two more days to go through right you can set your intention for what you want the next two days to be so you can set your intention for any time any day it doesn't matter when I cannot believe that the holidays are upon us. I was just talking to my family this morning, uh, talking to my dad because we're we're you know all trying to figure out plans about celebrating holidays together and uh, who's going to be cooking what, right? Because you know I'm I'm finally trying to get into I'm trying to get into the kitchen, right? I don't know about your household but as a kid for my household and most black households that I know they weren't letting these kids into the kitchen right grandma was in there cooking my my family my older aunties everybody was in the kitchen cooking and I was told to stay out and food would be ready when it's ready and when it's on the table then we can come together and bless the food and be together but I was to stay out the kitchen but now that I'm (laughs) you know grown up Damo I have a chance to be invited into the kitchen finally and trying to figure out, especially taking over 
my favorite is collard greens i'm a collard greens person uh my grandmother swears that when i was born i had a green birthmark because my mom ate so much of her collard greens while she was pregnant with me that i just came out with a green birthmark and i absolutely love my grandmother's collard greens so i am you know trying to uh cherish the time i have with her and get the recipe and learn how to make it right right <laughs> and not the uh healthy version it would require me to ignore some of the ingredients being put in but you know what it tastes good i only eat it once a year so it's okay um so yeah I'm, I'm i'm super excited for the chance to hang out with my family i'm not sure about yours if you guys have already started talking about it it just feels like you know talking having these conversations about the holidays just get earlier and earlier typically you would wait until at least halloween left but that seems to not be the case anymore because decorations come out earlier these sales come out earlier my dad already has his christmas decorations up i'm like what you didn't even give us a chance to like do it as a family you could have waited till at least after thanksgiving so he already has his tree up which is insane he's an intense person which is probably where i get it from so yeah that that's as you can see that's how my sunday's go. <laughs> It's going. I'm trying to get into the kitchen, set these intentions, and learn how to make some collard greens. Let's get into today's episode. I have a couple of topics um, that I just wanted to cover, get, make you aware of. The first we're going to go over is um, Uber CISO. Not sure if you've kept up with the news or you know the happenings that kind of happened in in the inf- information security world, but going to go over some. Uh, results that have come from a recent trial of Uber's CISO. We're also going to go over the White House Cybersecurity Initiative, something that came out earlier this year, um, but I haven't really seen gained much coverage or it was, you know, a couple of articles here and there. So I, I just wanted to, for those audience members who might not be familiar or really learn um, or know why it's important, definitely going to go over that. Um, I have a pretty interesting article that I came across about being able to guess passwords just from the keystrokes of your keyboard, which is pretty interesting insane and then we're going to get into the security tip of the week something that i've wanted to do going forward and super excited about so let's get into today's episode you may or may not have heard depending on if you keep your ear to these you know cybersecurity streets i'll be trying to keep my ear to the streets for (laughs) y'all that the former chief security officer of uber was recently convicted on two charges regarding his involvement in the cover-up of uber's 2016 breach now before i get into why this conviction is shaking the table for many in this field let me just give you a quick rundown on what these uber breaches were and what happened so back in 2014 uber was the victim of a data breach in which unauthorized hackers they gained access they like 50,000, I think, uh, people, or um, if I'm not mistaken, it was specifically workers um, who worked at Uber. So think of your Uber drivers. All of their information was put out forth in the internet, right? Like the hackers said that they gained access to this information. They had their names, they had their driver's license, and Uber didn't disclose 
disclose this information to the FTC um, until about a year later. So 2015, right? This happened, the breach happened in 2014. FTC wasn't notified until 2015. And around the same time that they kind of told the FTC like, yo, some people got in our stuff. They also hired a new CISO or CSO. His name is Joseph Sullivan. Um, so with this, you know, disclosure of this breach, understandably so, especially because this was quite some time ago, right? So it's not the, the uh, or I should say, as frequent as it has been as of recently, but this is a pretty big finding for a company to have been breached and have all this consumer data, you know, unauthorized uh, for some people. Uh, the FTC launched an investigation. It was like, listen, we need to learn more about your security practices, your programs. I need to know what y'all doing up in here. So that way this doesn't happen again. So Joseph Sullivan, who was the new CISO, he um, was the front head of this, right? So he was the one answering questions about Uber securities practices. He was testifying. He gave evidence, presentations, essentially doing everything he could to say, like, listen, Uber is doing what it's supposed to be doing in order to keep our customer data is secure. So he's doing this all throughout 2015. And unfortunately for him, after doing all this testifying, 10 days later, Uber suffered another breach, right? So the hackers went as far as contacting him directly. And this is Joseph Sullivan, the, C the CSO, contacting him directly to let him know like, yo, we got your stuff, right? We, we stole a significant amount of Uber user data and we're demanding a ransom. So now they were being held at ransom for this information. And Uber, you know, shout out to Uber employees, like they verified this information was like, no, this is true. This is our information. Like they got our data, they got into our systems somehow. Um, what are we going to do? right what are we going to do about this to make sure we just told the FTC that this wasn't going to happen again it has like let's go ahead and have a response right so boom Uber had a breach back in 2014 new CISO came on the scene testified company was doing what they were supposed to be doing and then 10 days later it happens again so I personally cannot say whether or not Uber was doing what they claimed to do right that wasn't in some of the research I'm having in terms of like their their systems weren't up to par or they really wasn't doing what they said that they were supposed to be doing, right? Like you can come to your own conclusions based off of the fact that they came in, but let's be honest, right? Even those who have a super robust or think that they're doing everything right, if someone wants to get into your systems, they're going to figure out a way, right? And so regardless of the fact of how they got in, the fact is that they did, right? It happened. And I, I think, you know, a lot of the saying now it's not, it's not a matter of if they're going to get in, it's a matter of when. So they got in. Now, rather than going back to the FTC to disclose this new breach and doing their duty to inform their customers, Uber's CSO decided, listen, we got to keep this from them. I just, you know, I just got up on the stand and I told them I was that this is not going to happen. And you're telling me that. 10 days later, I'm a liar, essentially. Um, so he deliberately gave orders for his security employees to cover up this investigation into this hack. He paid off hackers using Bitcoin and required them to sign essentially an NDA to keep it quiet. Now, the NDA was a little bit of a kerfuffle, so to speak, because, you know, the hackers didn't want to give out their real information. The company wound up finding out who it is anyway, made them, you know, again, go ahead, sign this NDA because I do not want this getting out um 
And then the following year, so we're now in 2016, Uber had reached a settlement with the FTC about the 2014 hack, right? Keeping quiet about the fact that what happened in 2014, like that didn't happen. Let's throw it under the table. It We're moving on as a company kind of thing. But he might have gotten away with it if it wasn't for Uber's new executive management who came in a year later in 2017. So mind you, we're starting from 2014 here and we're getting all the way years later to 2017 who began asking questions like, hey, you know, there's a security incident that I see that's on file. Like, can you tell me about it? Was this a breach? Did we need to, you know, notify the FTC? Did we need to tell consumers? Like, what is it that we're supposed to be doing in our due diligence here? Um, and unfortunately, the CSO, he was offered an opportunity to do something about it. And he just, you know, insisted nothing was wrong. Um, but ultimately, things wound up coming to light, right? And, you know, this is... A kind of a cliff notes a summary of the situation so to speak but the reason and bringing back full circle to this conviction and it's important right and if you've been keeping up with the news for the past couple of years there are dozens if not hundreds I don't know if I could say thousands it might be thousands to quite honestly if you think about it, if you add it up over years right so it very well might be thousands of companies that have suffered a major data breach I don't think or I should say there is a stigma for experiencing a data breach. That is not something any organization wants, right? There are consequences that come from it, not only just your data being taken, so to speak, but, you know, it could be reputational, it could be financial. There's all kinds of consequences that come from it, right? Um, but it happens. And I would think the response to a data breach really is what's most important and key here, right? Because the how of a data breach can vary. It can be human, right? Like you can have an unintentional accidental one. You can have hackers who are, you know, making sophisticated attacks. You can have nation state actors. Like there's just, there's just too many hows when it comes to data breaches. It's like, all right, now that it happened, what are we as an organization, as a security team, as a executive, what guidelines, procedures, um, things that are in place to make sure that everything goes well, right? Typically, the consequences that come from breaches for the past couple of years has been senior management is blamed, you know, a firing may or may not occur, um, you might be fined from respective governments or regula um, regulators. Um, but this time, this is the first time I, or at least that I'm hearing of, where an officer or someone in the executive and senior management position for a security team is being convicted and possibly sentenced to prison. Now, this is no question that the job of being a chief information security officer is a hard one. That's not what's questioning here, especially because, you know, I'm a person, I've made it very clear, you know, my career path being a CISO is something that I aim and aspire to. It's what I'm working hard for. It's what I want in my career, right? So I'm mindful of the things and watching of what CISOs have to be prepared for and take um, ownership of and participate in, right? These are the skills and things that I'm learning, right? So this is an opportunity. Hey, you have someone who's in this position, they were presented with a very difficult 
uh, situation. You have hackers who are uh, keeping your data at hand and saying, if you don't pay me X amount of dollars, a significant amount of money, right? If you don't pay me a significant amount of money, I'm either going to leak your data, delete your data, do X, Y, Z, insert action here to your data, right? So this job requires you to be right majority of the time because making the wrong decision, it just, it, it can lead to pretty dire consequences. Um, again, from data theft, brand reputation and financial consequences, and now conviction charges, right? So I'm of the belief that ethics should be the driving factor. If not top two behind your actions as a security leader and professional. Now, a ton of think pieces have gone out after this verdict regarding security executives, you know, needing to be on edge. But to be honest, in my opinion, I don't think so. This case was pretty blatant in the fact that the actions of the person in charge was not reflected of the values of the company nor the agreements set forth by the rules and regulations of the FTC specifically, right, regarding data breach uh, disclosures, right? So the act of being breached is a hard one to tackle, by far, <laughs> by far, hard one to tackle. But I think the decision to disclose it should not be. I'm very interested to hear your thoughts. So if you know about this or now that I've kind of given you the cliff notes and you do your own research, I would love to hear your thoughts about this particular situation, um, especially for those who are in executive levels um, in terms of how this might have changed. Right. Again, I, I think this is a pretty clear case. Right. And sometimes these cases are not as clear. It's not as nuanced as, hey, you're taking deliberate actions to hide something that is a a pretty it could be you know a criminal offense it's clear that you're doing something but sometimes it's not right like even with paying there are other companies who have paid um threat actors or ransomware demands and the government is telling you not to do that like they're very adamant on do not pay these these groups and these threat actors but if you are under a deadline and you have um you know, a lot of pressure coming from everywhere. Sometimes that decision isn't as easy for some, right? Like if I think it's easy to say, oh, you could have, would have, should have done this when you're not in the shoes, but um, being in those shoes are hard, right? It's a lot of decisions. Like I said, um, the unfortunate reality for a lot of cybersecurity professionals, leadership XYZ is you have to be right 99.999% of the time, if not a hundred, right? Because that percentage of you not being right could lead to uh, disastrous consequences. So super excited to hear your thoughts on this situation. Let me know. Continuing with the subject of timely notifications regarding breaches, I wanted to quickly touch upon an initiative set forth by the current Biden administration. Earlier this year, the Strengthening American Cybersecurity Act was signed and is a bill that addresses cybersecurity threats against critical infrastructure and the federal government. Now, this legislation establishes minimum reporting requirements that will require critical infrastructure and federal civilian agencies to report any substantial cyber incident 
regardless of whether data was breached, to the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency, also known as CISA, within 72 hours. And it also requires those agencies to report any ransomware payments within 24 hours. Now, that's key here, right? Because I just talked about, you know, the question of executives paying ransomware, whether or not that's an easy decision, et cetera, et cetera. Previously, a lot of the guidance that was coming out from a White House or national or um, federal um, guideline was always about you better not pay that ransomware, right? Don't pay the ransomware. Don't pay the hackers. Don't give in, etc. And this is saying, hey, if you have paid a ransomware payment, you need to let us know within 24 hours of that payment. And it's just the verbiage here matters, right? Because what I think that does for some is it it shows that the White House is understanding the very precarious situations that, you know, executives are having to face in this day and age, right? With the fact that, you know, we've had some major attacks happen from nation states to some very prominent key players in the game, right? Our own government, right? So, and it's not just ours, it's, it's, it's happening across the world, right? So the landscape has vastly changed. And I'm at least happy to see that the verbiage is changing because it used to be very frightening where I'm in this situation, I'm an executive, I, 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 I'm just told by my security team that a breach has happened, I have guidelines and uh, procedures and things that I'm supposed to be doing and how I'm supposed to respond. But at the end of the day, I have my shareholders, my stakeholders, my my board of directors screaming at me every five minutes for an update. I have my security team on the other, you know, on the other line who's keeping me up to date about the amount of data that's out. I have to think about the financial reputational consequences that are happening. I have to think about the fact that I would have to disclose this to my consumers. What is this going to do, you know, for my business, for the business, for the product? And then you have to think about it, right? I'm also, this person's also an individual who has a job. My job is, the job is on the line, right? Because like I said, a lot of the consequences when breaches happen for executives is, if you've had a breach, you get fired or you don't get paid. You might not get your NDDR bonus or, you know, insert action of consequence here versus the what I would hope more <laughs> nuanced and realistic actions that should come from a breach. Specifically, it, it, it should be the response. Like if you have an organization who has experienced it and they did it in a uh, responsible and ethical manner, meaning that they dis- they've disclosed in the proper time frame that they have, they've alerted the authorities in the proper way, they alerted the public, right? Especially because this is personal information that's getting out. Like imagine your address, your phone number, your social security number, all that kind of good stuff. I alerted the public in enough time so that way they can prepare and arm themselves. I think your response to something should be valued more than whether or not you've been breached because being breached more than likely will happen. I'm not going to say it's inevitable, but like, you know, it's just, you know, I did, it's, it's 
a very high percentage, right? So I, for one, super happy about this. I thought this was important because the definition of critical infrastructure has expanded under the CISA, uh, you know, under CISA and this disclosure that has come out. It includes any company in the energy, financial services, commercial facilities, information technology, healthcare, transportation, chemical manufacturing, defense industrial base, emergency services, and then they said and more, right? They didn't even list the more, they just said and more. And to me, I took that as, listen girl, everybody and mama, all of y'all are being considered under this critical infrastructure, right? If you are servicing the public, you could be essentially considered critical infrastructure. So I wouldn't be surprised if after um, this legislation is still ongoing, right, they still have rules and regulations to come out. So I wouldn't be surprised if more and more sectors, um, especially those that might fall victim to cybersecurity attacks, kind of fall under this this broad category of critical infrastructure, which means if you work for a company that is under one of these sectors and you're on a security team, more than likely, right, you're going to have to figure out how to come up with a response to this. Do you have the procedures, the people, the resources in place to respond to a cybersecurity incident and to respond to let the season know within 72 hours, let them know about a ransomware payment within 24 hours? Do you have the knowledge to do all of that, right? So again, if you're under one of these sectors or if you're not too sure, I would more than likely probably get prepared for it, start having conversations about it because uh, more than likely you're probably going to have to. And even if you don't fall under these sectors, I definitely think this is a great guideline and standard to adhere to, right? So that way you're not stuck in the lurch and trying to scramble and figure out this is a great way when guidelines like this come out for you to get prepared. So this is still pretty ongoing. One of my favorite parts also that came out of this is a possible solution or suggestion that's coming out is the fact that the legislation says there's a need for an IOT warning label. So IOT devices such as like your Google Homes, your smart light bulbs, more all of those currently don't come with labels. They don't have security warnings. It doesn't tell you about the dangers of plugging something into the internet in your home and what it could be leaving you open to, you know, if you don't put the right controls in place. And well, I definitely don't think a label um, will force manufacturers to come out with safer products. It does give consumers a chance to gain, you know, just some awareness that a product they're using may have some consequences that they that are unforeseen and they should be aware of it and what should they do we have warning labels for all kinds of things right that you'll see california <laughs> puts labels about all kinds of stuff right so I, I think having these universal labels on these devices will bring awareness cybersecurity awareness still crucial still a crucial part of your defense plan so i'm super excited to see that kind of come to to, to fruition. All in all, I think cybersecurity is starting to get the national light it deserves, right? Especially since, you know, it has the potential to affect every single part of our lives. So, you know me, that's why I'm doing this podcast in the first place, right? So that was you, <laughs> that way you know about what's going down. The last thing I wanted to go over for today's um, podcast was a pretty interesting topic I saw come about. You know, not everything is doom and gloom here. 
some things are pretty interesting, especially when it comes to research. I, I really love cybersecurity research. It's why I went into uh, going for my PhD. It's I, I just really love the theory behind things and how sometimes that can come into execution and how especially the role that people play and the different techniques and things that you can that you can do things that you wouldn't even you know normally think of or try to guess of people are out there thinking about that right so I, I love reading about the research and the work that is coming out so I recently saw that it is now possible for a bad hacker to guess your password based on the heat the heat you leave behind on your keyboard with your fingers right the the pads of your fingers as you type onto computers I know even as I, I read the article I was writing this you know the script out my notes out and I'm talking to you right now in my head I'm like what the hell like this is one more thing I gotta keep in touch you know I gotta keep track of um and it is right it's the unfortunate reality of things but it's just something to be mindful of right so a professor at the University of Glasgow, Glasgow. Did I say that right? Glasgow. Yes. I want to say in Scotland because I had a previous coworker who who came from there. But yes, the University of Glasgow um, School of Computing Science had developed a system that uses a thermal imaging camera to guess and identify the keys that were last touched by a person. Now, the images are able to show essentially brighter areas. If you've seen like, you know, thermal technology before, especially when it comes to camera imaging, if you have to identify a person with thermal technology, it usually shines pretty bright. Like they'll typically be yellow. It could be whatever color, color system, but it will show um, that particular person. Like if you're looking for someone, say if it's dark or if it's in an area that's not really well visible, you can use thermal technology, but you can also use it for your keyboard right so as a keyboard as you're typing on your keyboard and you're uh, typing in your passwords or maybe a pin code on your computer maybe your smart device or an atm right they someone can use thermal technology to look at what you just uh, typed in and try to guess now the human part of guessing is uh not feasible <laughs> there's no way a human can guess that um uh, try to guess your password especially if it's a longer one but what they can do is feed these images into an ai system or an artificial intelligence system and that can try and guess your password within seconds right because artificial intelligence is pretty quick so they did this exactly and 86 percent of passwords were revealed with when using thermal technology within 30 seconds of someone typing in their password 76% were able to be guessed correctly within um, after 30 seconds and then 62% were able to be guessed correctly after 60 seconds so still pretty high because that means more than half of the passwords were cracked 60 seconds after someone typed a password on a computer and Again, this is just a study research. It, it didn't even it's not even published in the journal yet that it's going to come out in. So this is really just awareness. But it's just something to think about. Right. There are people out there who think about the various ways that they can try and get into stuff. I don't know why this that's where the psychology part of cybersecurity comes in that's what I'm fascinated about is like the why behind it I know a lot of it is financial motivation but 
it's the fact that you can use some pretty easily accessible technology, right? Thermal technology is becoming cheaper. As more technology is being produced, it becomes cheaper and available for people to use, right? So thermal technology is not just for the governments and Call of Duty because I happen to see it today in Call of Duty, right? It's, it can be used anywhere, right? Or anyone can um, essentially buy it off of Amazon, off of eBay, off of wherever. So um, especially because our ATMs still require shorter passwords, it's very well possible that someone can come behind you. Now, granted, they would still need to have your card information, but just think about that. That's one piece of the puzzle. Right. If they have your password, they can connect that with maybe other things, especially if people use passwords across other accounts, which, as you know, if you've been a security and color listener, we that's a that's rule number one. <laughs> Essentially, I feel like everything is rule number one, but like rule number top five. Right. Is to not reuse passwords. So that's just one of the tidbits. It could be a, a, a clue that can lead down a trail that you just don't want people to go down. Down. So um, super fascinating to read about. I will, of course, link this in the show notes if you're interested in reading more about that study um, and all that good stuff. But yeah, it's just interesting the lengths that people can go through to, to get through stuff. Before we head out, I want to make sure, again, like I said a little bit earlier, trying something a little bit different this season of the Security in Color podcast. Going forward, I want to give you a tip of the week, right? It might be a security tip. It might be a career tip because, you know, I am super excited to start talking about career-related things, especially for my mid-career people, right, who can relate to me about having to navigate the, uh, what I would consider pretty short-term amount of information that's out there for mid-career people. I think there's a ton of stuff out there for entry level. I think there's a ton of stuff out there for executive and high level. But for those of us who are a little bit in between, right? We're the we're the, we're the ones holding down the fort. <laughs> Trying to get some information and some things and share some knowledge with you. So definitely have some career tips of the week. Um, and majority of this podcast, right, is going to be covering major topics for you to be aware of. But I wanted to make sure I'm giving you some concrete and tangible security takeaways on a consistent basis so i will be including these at the end of each episode as well as on my kind of like various platforms and newsletters so that way you have them but today's tip especially because it's still Cybersecurity month if you're listening to this in the month of october uh still Cybersecurity awareness month and this one's gonna be geared toward the kiddos right um it's all about keeping kids safe on social internet i mean social uh, media websites and the internet because kids are a very very big vulnerable group to threats on social media and the internet I personally have a baby sister who is 10. And if you have kids at home, you know them little jokers. They be taking their little iPads and their phones and their laptops and they will get out of sight, out of mind for hours. I would have to like literally beg. I'm like, don't you want to hang out with me? She's like, no, <laughs> I got things to do. My friends are calling on their internet. I got to go. And I'm like, all right, cool. Like, sure. So now while there are controls on these devices in place to kind of help prevent you know, kids from wreaking havoc most of the time. Take it from experience of myself who was a kid who learned how to guess passwords and bypass things that my mom tried to put in place to keep me out. It don't work. If I want to get around it, I'm going figure out, <laughs> figure out a way to get around it. Right. And instead of, I think, taking the approach of blocking or 
restricting um speak with your kids about the importance of internet safety and how they should be mindful of things and the things that they should do or the things that they click on or what they should be um, looking out for because it wasn't until I talked to my sister she didn't know much about uh cybersecurity as a profession right it's not it's just now starting to be talked about I think at a elementary school middle school level so she didn't even know about cybersecurity as a profession she didn't know about the dangers of of hacking per se or that there are people out there or there's pop-ups out there that'll try to steal information, right? So if you break it down on their level, if you just let them know and talk to them, I'm very big on talking to my little sister as a person, <laughs> you know, not as a kid, because I, I know how that felt as being a kid and having adults who kind of just treated you and only talked to you as if you were two, right? And talking to her like as a person and saying, hey, like, you use the internet. It's perfectly fine to use the internet. It's a fun place. It's a place you can learn a bunch of information. You can meet friends. You can do all kinds of things. You can play video games. But also, here's the danger. And I think we need to translate a lot of kind of the physical safety. Like we always tell kids, hey, don't talk to strangers, right? Don't go where you're not supposed to go. Don't follow anyone you don't know. All of the things, the advice that we tell kids from an outside perspective, like when we go outside or when they're leaving the house is also something that we should be telling them when it comes to the internet, because that's really the silent um, threat. <laughs> I think that we tend to not really think about because the internet and technology is just so pervasive. So if we could just tell them like, hey, there's such a thing as internet safety. Here's why. Here's what you can do. And if you're not sure, let us know, right? Come to me, ask me, and then we can verify together. It's similar to, you know, as a security professional, what I tell my employees, right? If you if you see something, say something, right? If you're not sure, ask me, please. <laughs> let me know, alert me. Um, so same thing with your kids. Tell them, let you know. Ask questions, be curious, learn together, right? Especially if you're someone, if you are someone who's maybe not a cybersecurity professional and you're like, well, I don't even know what to tell my kids, right? I'll leave some tips for you in the show notes, but maybe this is also an opportunity for both of you and your child to learn together and to say, hey, let's look up what does internet safety look like? And there's a a ton of books that are starting to come out, um, especially there's one by Zenit. I'm going to put, um, she's a cybersecurity professional in the field. I'm going to put that in the uh, show notes as well, who have books geared for children. So that way they can learn about cyber safety and how to be uh, secure and everything. So the security champion work of building, you know, evangelists and other fellow little professionals starts at home. So make sure to share with your own family and friends and your own children about how to be safe and use the internet because it is a fun place, right? We want to make sure, we want to make sure it stays that way. All right, that's a wrap for today's episode. I hope you learned a little something, something. <laughs> I'd love to hear what you think about the Uber CISO conviction and any of the other topics I, I discuss here on the podcast. Feel free to write me on Twitter um, at Security in Color. I'm what we're also on Instagram or connect with me on LinkedIn. I love connecting with people and kind of just sharing messages on LinkedIn. Uh, a, a huge caveat and asterisk there. It takes me a really long time to get through all the messages, but I promise you I try to get through them. <laughs> and be sure to subscribe and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Okay, bye.